You're listening to your favorite movie podcast. Yes, The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And here is our intro music. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meekin. And you join us this morning when we record this in the world of the bleary-eyed. <laughs> Very, very bleary-eyed today. So, due to stuff, I've got Andy up early. Yeah, and as you can imagine, we've been quite busy at work, so uh, I'm quite tired, quite exhausted. But you know what? Let's throw myself into it. I'm not completely ready, but I can do this. I can get through this. It's a calling. After last week's momentous show, <laughs> then I think Andy can do just about anything with the film <laughs> We're going to let you into a behind-the-scenes. Like, you know, when you... You get your DVD and your Blu-rays and you go, I'll go to the director's commentary first rather than watch the movie. This is last week's episode, director's commentary insight, the behind the scenes making of the film file. So we record this. Um, if you've seen our YouTube links, we record this externally. Uh, I'm in my house and he is in his house. Uh, and that began due to lockdown, really. We used to record together yeah. in the same room, didn't we, initially? Yeah. Uh, which now seems unheard of to be able to do this. <laughs> so uh, we started. We had a few technical problems, uh, as sometimes happens. Unbeknownst to us, we think there was had been some sort of an update with either the, the system that we use or there'd been an update on Google Chrome. Whatever there, there was something, and we were having all sorts of issues. It took me about twenty minutes to log in. Couldn't get the microphone to operate. Andy had had a microphone issue. We got to the end of the first half and went, Andy, you there's something up with your mind. And I should have mentioned it earlier, but you know, I didn't know because with all the problems we we'd had so far that day, the the, the, the false starts, just thought it was easier to keep going than to, to come to a to a dead stop. And then Andy listened back to it, and it was a one heck. Of a problem, really. It was uh, it was quite a major... Uh, it microphone. sounded like I was in a warehouse, sat at one end of it with the microphone up on the ceiling at the far end. That's how bad it was. I was distant, I was echoey, I was tinny. So we did something highly unusual, something we don't normally do, and we re-recorded the first half of the show as much as we could. Up to What's this wee business? <laughs> well, we, did, we did our we did our intro. We did the again. intro. <laughs> yeah. And then Andy went off and, and tried to patch it together. And I have to say, he did a, a seamless job with some of the best acting and, and ADR work this side. Because <laughs> I, no, like you said, we, we re-recorded the intro together and that left all the news chunk and some of the little bits of gossip that we did uh, before the news. And I basically re-recorded all my lines for those sections. And bearing in mind, I work on notes. So I had like notes of what we should have been talking about, but it wasn't in the same order. And the notes are just kind of like, yeah, I'll have them almost scripted, but Lee will throw something in and bouncing off. So I was having to remember what Lee had thrown out for me to bounce off on all the things and how I replied to them. And it, I basically had an, an extra 40 minutes of me talking to myself that I then had to cut and paste bits of to make it feel like a natural flowing conversation. Now, I, I don't listen to the show once I've edited it, but last week... Yeah, I'd listened to it multiple times throughout the edit. It took about eight and a half to nine hours to edit together. And I was banging my head on the desk. So I just sent Liam messages like, let me know once you've listened to it because I need to know how it works. And I've also asked one of the guys at work who listens to it, did he notice any, anything different? And he, he just said, actually, no. He noticed a difference between like the audio quality on the first half and the second half in general because we'd stopped the recording and started it. I hadn't quite matched it perfectly. 
but he didn't realise that the news section was basically a cut and paste ADR job. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I once I once had to work with a non I wouldn't say non celebrity, but non actor on a TV commercial, uh, and and very very similar to to the story you recounted, Andy. The audio, the live audio, was shocking. Um, it had been really misrecorded on on set, and it was a large boomy room. It was a, a, a massive hair salon in the centre of London. Yeah. It was just awful. Anyway, I said, we're going to have to re-record the audio, which can be a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. and can be an absolute nightmare, especially to, to non-actors. So I arranged with the, the, the guy, the star of the uh, star of the piece, to, to take him into a studio, thinking we were going to be out. It's only a 30-second ad. Uh, and and um, the guy nailed it, basically, in one take. Uh, and I was talking to the, the ADR guy. This was a very talented ADR guy. Works on works on lots and lots of big, epic TV stuff. And I said, that was great. He said, the guy just matched it absolutely perfectly. He said, you know why? It's because he's a non-actor. Yeah. He said, actors will have to get themselves into the mindset the that they were on that particular day. Uh, yeah. When non-actors come in, they just remember what they did and have a yeah. tendency to nail it so much faster. Um, over the next few weeks, where it's going to be, well, next couple of months, it's going to be more interesting because we've got another complication in the way of the show. Yes, yes, we have. You are going. I am fleeing Sheffield. I'm going to help open a new site down south in Banbury for the next few months. Which I'm going to go with the advantages first, Andy. Uh, you're going to be more focused when you're staying in your, uh, in your digs to yep. uh, think about the show because you won't be distracted as much by uh, your Funko Pops and, uh, and games, <laughs> everything around you, your your uh, your family. I, I, I have not, no disregard to your family at all. I've realised how, uh, how did that sound. Um, but, you know, maybe it'll, it'll keep you focused. But, of course, we're going to be doing it on hotel Wi-Fi, yep. which is never fun. And mm. on a piece of kit that you don't know, a, a laptop that's not yours. Yep. So your normal kit. So I think yeah, there's going to be some challenges. But you know what, Andy? We have proved over the nearly three years that we've been doing this. It's longer. We started mm. in 2017, 2018. Yeah, 2018. Uh, yeah, it was 2018. Yep. So we have been doing this a lot. To have not only faced and, and eradicated some of the challenges in bringing the film file, but we just see this as a new challenge. Yeah, uh, and, and we'll rise to it and we'll deliver. There might be a few filler bonus episodes yeah. um, at times because, yeah, I might have a very hectic schedule with it opening a, a pretty big venue. But, you know, it's a great opportunity for me. There was no way I was going to turn this one down. Uh, you know, it's moving away from a family for three months, popping back every week or so, you know, but I couldn't I couldn't turn this one down. There was no way I was going to, like, say no to an opportunity like this. Can I, can I say one more opportunity yep. that we probably not considered? You've got the opportunity to, to um, introduce the fair people of Banbury to the film file. Yep. And I've also, and I, I've been, I've been, uh, I was going to say this to you, what I'm going to do, Andy, because when you start this, I'm going to come down and visit you. Hey, I'm come down come... and see you. <laughs> the friendly face. I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a trip. I'll, I'll book a hotel and we'll, uh, <laughs> on the right night, I'll come down and we'll, uh, we'll hang out. Come down and Marvellous. visit. Marvellous. Question of the week this week. Okay. So every week we now set uh, a Twitter challenge. And our Twitter challenge is whatever we uh, whatever we think is is a, is a good question. Last week's uh, did we get a good response? And it was about songs, songs that inspired us, songs that we like, needle drops to films. So yeah, with the question of the week, we didn't get much of a response. In fact, I think there was only you who responded. And this is oh, one really? of those things. This wow. is one of those things that someone else on Twitter last night commented that you can you can put out just a random straight off the top of the head blurting piece of nonsense and get a huge impact in everyone interacting. 
or you can put out a fully thought out question that you think, yeah, people who like films will really like this and get nothing. And this is the bizarre thing about Twitter. You can't predict what kind of questions are going to do it. However, we did have a similar question to this week's question of the week okay. in one of one of the movie talk on Sundays last year. Right. So I can cherry pick a few of the answers from there. Okay. The question of the week was to do with, like Lee said, to do with needle drops. The, the th- moments in films that make you go, ooh, and f- whenever you hear that song from that point onwards, it kind of throws you back to the moment of the film. That's right. And I mentioned, uh, I mentioned my needle drop was from The Breakfast Club. Uh, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. I can't, if I hear that song, it's always associated with with that film. And same with Pretty in Pink, even though the song Pretty in Pink by the Psychedelic First came out before. It's now associated forever with the John Hughes movie. Yeah. Nadine Geneva on Twitter, needle drop, train spotting. I mean, she's not narrowed down any particular track, but let's be honest, pretty much every track, whenever you hear from train spotting, Perfect you, day, Lou you Reed. think of the scenes that that was used in Lust for uh, Life. Of course, Iggy Pop, Born Slippy. Here's one that's not exactly a na- needle drop, but it's it's a moment where s- music is used to break the tension. And it's Show Me the Way to Go Home being sung by the cast of Jaws. <laughs> I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Let's be honest. Good choice. That's from Carl, who's at listening to film. Uh, yeah, let's be honest with that one. Yeah, it's not an actual song played. But every time you hear Show Me The Way To Go Home Now, as a Jaws fan, that's it. You think yeah. of that scene. A couple that I put in, well, I, I had quite a few. I mean, I've got the, I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the Beta Band. Yes, yeah, from uh, High Fidelity. Yeah, Dry The Rain by the Beta Band. I'd never listened to the Beta Band until that film, and that got me listening to the Beta Band. Uh, obviously, Baby Driver stands out huge in mine, especially the use of Intermission by Blair and Hocus Pocus by Focus, which I cannot listen to now without thinking of that tense build-up before a big action scene yeah harlem shuffle as well uh, i Ooh, did yeah, a, a study choice. of that scene with some film students recently so uh, great opportunity carl at listening to film also added in every single song choice in the two guardians of the galaxy films yeah fantastic saying that even escape which is a song that they loathe 100 percent works you know my favorite out of that is david bowie's moon age daydream which is one of my favorite bowie yeah. songs and it's the shot when they go to nowhere yeah and i associate uh, it with that that sequence fantastic and we've mentioned it when we covered uh, manhunter but in a gathered vida by iron butterfly i cannot hear that without imagining a fbi agent crashing through a window to take down uh, the tooth fairy yes <laughs> well, that nicely brings us on to this week's Twitter challenge, and hopefully it will go down much better than, than last week's. And uh, um, I've not changed plan. I've not, not come up with a different question to try and attract people. I'm just mm-hmm. going to go with the question that was always going to be this. So we talked about movie reboots a couple of weeks ago, and we got a good response to that one. But what I'm going to mention now is TV series that have been developed into big screen outings, and sometimes hugely successful mission impossible sometimes not very good starsky and hutch sometimes downright bizarre like 21 jump street and then stuff that's really forgettable like the big screen version of the beverly hillbillies or even the sweeney so i'm going to ask this week if you were going to take a tv series that you that you loved as a kid um or you love now and there was going to be a big screen version what would that TV series be? Where would you take it? What would be 
your adaptation of a TV series to into a movie. Okay. So I just get the ball rolling on it, and I've given it a lot of thought. Clearly, the front runner is the $6 million man. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's been discussed so many times and never really. Yeah, there was a Kevin Smith version of the script. Mark Wahlberg was connected for a long time with a big screen version. Then it was going to become a comedy. The comedy idea, um, I remember when that got rumoured, is that it's because they were going to stick with the $6 million man and $6 million will get you nothing these days. Yeah. So it was going to be, he's got all this tech that is really useless. Yes. Uh, I, and I wouldn't have been interested. You wouldn't have seen me there. <laughs> um, you know, now it's potentially the $6 billion man. And, and I think you could do, you could go back to the source material, go back to the book Cyborg and do something really different and really interesting yeah. and, uh, uh, and the way technology has developed since the 70s TV series. So that would be mine. Andy, do, would you go... Would you go anywhere? What would yours be? I don't know. You know, you've always wanted a Mr. Ben film. A Mr. Ben would be the ideal it film. It was in development for years. <laughs> there was, and it was going to star John Hanna. I'll have to think about this one. Yeah, because there's a lot of shows that I think I really love. And I initially think, oh, I'd love to see this on the, on the big screen. But then it's like, ah, but I like the fact that it plays out the story slowly. I've just thought of one while you were talking then. What have you thought of? Jerry Anderson's UFO. Yeah, I could see that. Screen version. I could see that. There you go. So, folks, if you have your big screen adaptation of a classic TV series or a TV series that you love and you'd like to see it on the big screen, what would that film be based on that Danger show? Mouse. Yeah? Danger live action Mouse. or CGI? Um, I, 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 it'd have to be animated. I wouldn't like to see a live action. Danger Mouse. I wouldn't like to see them take the Tom and Jerry recent movie approach where Tom and Jerry in a real world setting. No, I want it to be as crazy and wild and wacky as the animation style was. It kind of makes me wonder why no one's ever thought of that because everybody knows who Danger Mouse is. They did reboot it a few years ago. Yeah, with Alexander Armstrong voicing DM. Yeah, yeah, that that seems ripe for a big screen version. Yeah. Mm, there you go. We'll leave it in the hands of the Twitterverse. So, what have we got on this week's show? Well, we are going to be doing our deep dive into Sam Raimi's Darkman, starring a very young Liam Neeson. And talking of Sam Raimi, we have our big review this week, which is, of course, is the latest Marvel film, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which Andy and I both saw. And I, I think you're going to be in for an interesting take in our review. Anything else, Andy? And as promised, I have uh, done the Lord's work once more, <laughs> and I checked out the new Marmaduke animated film on Netflix and Bruce Willis's Sky original, Deadlock. Fantastic. You are doing the Lord's <laughs> work. But before any of that, we're going to bring you the item that we fondly named the news. Do you know why? Because it is the news. So let's start the news off with this week's box office. So, of course, the big opener this week was Doctor Strange. How has it done over the weekend? Now, I'm guessing it's going to have opened large. I'm going to make a bit of a prediction that I don't think it will stay the number one film for very long. But that's just me. So with pretty much nothing new going head to head with it, why would you? Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness opened in the US with a very strong weekend at $187 million. It's instantly become the 
biggest box office debut of 2022, pulling in $90 million alone on Friday. With the bad guys taking second place, taking $9.6 million, Sonic the Hedgehog, $6 million, very family-orientated box office in the US this week, Fantastic Beasts in fourth place with $4.3 million, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. A bit of multiverse madness from a different perspective in fifth place with 3.5 million. Here in the UK, again, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness straight in at the top spot, finishing the weekend with 19.8 million pounds. In second place, Downton Abbey, A New Era, which has raked in another 1.5 million to get itself to 7.6 million in total to date. Sonic the Hedgehog still whizzing around and generating some buzz for audiences, taking another 630,000. It's up to 23.5 million in the UK alone. Lost City holds in at fourth with 468,000. And Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore in fifth place with 401,000. It's total in the UK, 19.6 million. Doctor Strange so far to date, after just one weekend, has raked in worldwide $449.7 million. It's well online to head towards a billion dollars, but that's if it doesn't have a huge drop-off on week two once this initial surge of interest to avoid spoilers has passed it by. The original Doctor Strange finished its worldwide run on $677 million, so it's, it's definitely clear that this sequel is doing better than that first film. So that's the box office. What else have we got? So Paramount Plus has finally got its launch date in the UK. Yeah, notice that. So another streaming service, which is aiming at the six ninety nine per month or £69.90 per year. So you get two months free if you pay for a year and go putting it alongside Disney Plus. But it will open in the UK on the 22nd of June. And now, obviously, there's the wealth of Trek content, which is the big draw for nerds like me, especially to see strange new worlds without having to resort to a dodgy streaming dubious means to watch it, which I'm refusing to do. I know that I know that there's a fair few people <laughs> out there who are already doing it. And all I've got to say, if you're a big fan, you'll want to actually do it officially. Do the right thing. So do the right thing. And I'm going to do the right thing and hold off until mid-June when there'll be a one-week free trial. So I'll be able to plough through as many episodes as I can in that week. But um, alongside all the Wealth of Trek content, I also expect the big bad catalogue of stuff from Paramount. And new content such as the Godfather's behind-the-scenes miniseries, The Offer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, South Park is on Paramount, Yellowstone, and also, you won't like this, but this is one reason why I might end up subscribing, a brand new Jackass series. Uh, So there is going to be a wealth of content, but it opens that age-old question. Well, I say age-old, it's an age-old question that we've been doing since early days of this show. When is the breaking point? for streaming well i think you've hit the nail on the head i think that's that's the issue to debate you're absolutely right paramount does have an awful lot of wealth uh you know uh i'm not sure who gets the indiana jones movies whether it's paramount or disney i don't know which end of the Mm. deal that was with with lucasfilm but so potentially you've got the Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the Indiana Jones movies. You've got the Mission Impossible films. Uh, Star yeah. Trek clearly is the, the big winner out of this. Now, the interesting thing with Paramount is, unlike Disney, Paramount's not a household name to the majority of non-film fans. Yeah, It doesn't have that connotation of, why should I have this? I mean, Disney is a, is a, is a foregone conclusion, let alone Star Wars, let alone Marvel. It, it's it's family orientated film, and if you've got kids, then it's a it's a no brainer. I don't know anybody who didn't subscribe that first week during lockdown to, to Disney. I really don't. Yeah. So I think I think that's a big key part of of their marketing. Why 
choose uh, an, another streaming service and why choose uh, Paramount. Now, if you're a Star Trek fan, makes absolutely perfect sense why you'd want to go there. Yeah. So I think you might get a, a strong opening couple of weeks with people then dropping out yeah. after the initial uh, uh, one week. It'll join, I mean, a lot of people are like me in that they now have a list of three or four different streaming services that they alternate subscriptions with. Now, and I, and I think the, the bigger issue is we are living in very, very financially difficult times. No matter yeah. what price income, price bracket you live in, we are all facing elements of where we've got to go. We have got to cut back. And it's been a conversation in our house. If it does get any worse, as, as it's predicted, especially towards the tail end of the year, what are you going to get rid of? And people are going to start having to consider what streaming services they're going to choose. Yep. Now, we've had a conversation. I think Sky will go at our house because for one or two programs, it doesn't get an, an awful lot of views. So I might even just slim it down to say, look, I just want one channel for Sky if I can do that. And they'll, they'll probably give me that rather than leave. And then it's, it's who's left. Prime isn't going to go because Prime Shopping. Yeah, uh, Disney's not going to go. Apple TV is part of a deal I have with Apple where they consolidated all my Apple products into one and yeah. made it very cost effective to have uh, Apple Music and Apple TV and, and yeah. worked out an awful lot cheaper. So Netflix is the one at the moment with the big question mark over it. Now, if Netflix goes, I'm certainly not going to be looking at joining up with another service. Yeah. So I think it's there's, there's a lot of difficult choices for some people with, with their streaming services. I think there's difficult questions to be asked by Netflix when you're asking to pay 15 quid as opposed to however much you pay for Paramount or for Disney, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think we're in a time when launching a new channel comes with some caveats. I'm sure that over this next year, we'll see some some of the services starting to crash as a result of the flooding of the market i mean we've still got hbo max to come out in the uk right and again why would you want to i mean you're gonna go you're gonna choose your series now again dc has got got the big push on that yeah that is the backbone for many hbo max series and hbo is, is a fantastic service you know i would go for it because the last of us will be on that if it's if it comes out after uh, it's pulled from Sky. So, you know, we're living in an age where you go, yeah, I, I might just get in for, for a month and then pull it. Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, moving on. After the news last week that there was troubles in production on the new Fast and Furious film with Justin Lin exiting the film over creative differences, the current rumour has it that Louis Leterrier is now the top choice to take over and is apparently in talks trying to work out details. As we said last week, it's it's costing the studio a fortune for every bit of delay because they'd actually started filming and some of the cast have commitments. Everyone's having to get paid for the downtime. Like Lee said last week, you know, second units will be doing odd, odds and ends of shooting and putting together some action set pieces. But for the main director to not be attached at this point, point in time is a worry for them. Uh, details need to be worked out, but if the film could be back on track by the end of next week. We said, didn't we, last week, that by the time we did this show, yeah. they would have a director ready to go. Uh, Louis Leterrier is uh, is a good, strong director. I don't think he's been given the work that he's capable of. Yeah. Most people know him from Transporter and then The Incredible Hulk, which is not as bad as people seem to think it is. I, yeah. I, I watched it again recently. I think it's I think it's a very strong, especially in comparison to some later Marvel Universe movies, I think it's a really strong film. And Leterrier is a really good action director. So he fits the bill perfectly 
And uh, as I said, I'm friends with him on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know how. He's also um, the kind of director, it, as he showed with Now You See Me, he can actually balance characters as yeah. well. So fingers crossed. I think it's a, gr- a great choice, although I'm not that bothered with the film. Um, and you report over at THR to do with the leaving of Lynn. Claims that the production budget for Fast 10 has now ballooned and is hitting upwards of 300 million. <sighs> It's putting a lot of pressure on it to perform at the box office. And at the same time, it's suggested that Lynn ultimately left due to creative clashes with both Universal and the producer star Vin Diesel. Oh, what a surprise. Someone had a clash with Vin Diesel. We kind of suggested that, didn't we, from our own? Yeah. Well, it was uh, just common sense. From his history, basically. The trade papers says that Lynn penned the script thinking it would be locked as they went into production but that the studio then brought in another writer to polish the dialogue. And then a meeting on the on April the 23rd led to a major disagreement with Diesel when the actor presented his new notes. Lynn reportedly said, this movie is not worth my mental health. And within two days, he and the studio had agreed upon him departing it. Right. The outlet adds that Diesel is involved with the writing process and could essentially veto action sequences as a result. Universal gave a statement to the trade saying, any creative differences leading to Justin Lin's exit were with the studio, not with fellow producers, cast or crew, because they don't want to... Yeah, it'd be strange if Universal's head up like top brass turned around and went, yeah, it was Vin Diesel's fault. It's all his fault. So they're basically absolving him of responsibility because that's what a studio's supposed to do. Yes, it's a a buffer between creatives. If Fast 10 goes back into production pretty swiftly, it's still planning to hit cinemas May 19th next year. But it is going to end up being a hugely costly venture as a result of these right. problems. Okay, in other news. Well, TV-wise, I mean, we got we got to see uh, the Cobra Kai Season 5 trailer this week. Is Cobra Kai worth my time, Andy? It very much is. It's absolutely right. brilliant. I can't express enough how easy it was to fall into the characters of that series. And yes, it taps into the nostalgia element, but it's one of those things that does it in the right way. It doesn't just do nostalgia to cover over the cracks in the story. It uses it to draw on for the emotion and heart. Drawing from the Karate Kid films, it plays the characters the reverse way around at times that you get to find that the guy who you thought was the bad guy in Karate Kid actually wasn't. Okay. Great series. Well worth checking out. Um, but season five has got a release date as well. September oh, the 9th, right. which is only nine months after the previous season ended. Uh, the new series will see Daniel taking drastic measures to bring down Terry Silver while Johnny will travel to Mexico with Robbie to find Miguel. And that meant nothing to you because you've not seen any of the series. (laughs) But to all the Cobra Kai fans out there, they know what what exactly that will refer to, and they will be getting as excited as me. But will they be getting excited as me when I read that the Quantum Leap TV series has been greenlit to go to a full season? Yes, I noticed that. So the the new take is going to centre on Dr. Ben Siong, played by Raymond Lee, a world-renowned physicist and a man of faith. And 30 years after Dr. Sam Beckett, Scott Bakula, the magnificent Scott Bakula, stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. A new team is now assembled to restart the project in the hopes of understanding the mysteries behind the machine and the man who created it. I'm in. I always had love for Quantum Leap. Uh, Strangely enough, I never saw the last episode. It's, It's one of those really great last episodes that really, like... It left it open, but also closed it at the same point because they knew that they weren't getting another series, but they had always hoped they'd have a way to bring it back at some point. And now they can actually draw from that and play into it. Whether Scott Bakula himself will pop up is unknown as of yet. But given the fact that every time he's asked whether he'd return to Quantum Leap, he's always very enthusiastic about it. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him from time to time. The series was ordered to pilot in January. Apparently, the pilot was so well received by the studio that they've just straight away just gone full season. Go for it. Staying in the TV world, Viola Davis is reprising Amanda Waller in a Peacemaker spin-off series. Uh, There's talk already for Peacemaker season two once James Gunn is finished with the MCU. And I think they finished filming Guardians of the Galaxy 3 just this very week. Um, James Gunn is reportedly talking to do the next series, but there does look to be a separate series um, starring Viola Davis. Yep. Kind of sticking with Suicide Squad. David Ayer, who made the first Suicide Squad film, has come aboard to direct Jason Statham's fast-paced action thriller, The Beekeeper at Miramax. Jason Statham in a fast-paced action thriller? <laughs> no, I was just about to say, is there any other kind of pacing to a, a Jason Statham action flick? Uh, the Beekeeper is penned by Kurt Wimmer, who penned The Recruit, Salt, and the Thomas Crown Affair remake. Oh, he's a good writer. Yeah. Deeply steeped in the mythology of beekeeping. The unconventional story follows a man's personal journey of vengeance, which takes on national stakes. Filming will start in September in London and Atlanta, with Statham, Wimmer, and Bill Block set to produce. This is also Statham's third recent Miramax film, following Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man and the upcoming Operation Fortune. There's going to be a spin-off film for the Crazy Rich Asians franchise, I'm going to call it now, because the film is already getting a full sequel, which is in development, which is going to be based on the second book in the trilogy, China Rich Girlfriend. But now they're going to spin off a story around Gemma Chan's Astrid character, exploring her romance with Charlie, who was seen in the final moments of the film. I never thought there'd be a crazy rich Asian cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone wants a cinematic universe (laughs) these days. Um, I'm going to take us back to TV very quickly. Um, Sylvester Stallone has entered the realm of TV. He is starring in the mob drama series Tulsa King from writer Taylor Sheridan. It was once called Kansas City, and the show follows New York uh, mafia capo Dwight the General Manfredi, as played by Stone, as as he is released from prison after 25 years and is unceremoniously exiled by his boss to set up shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It looks great. It's going straight to Paramount+. Plus. So whether we ever get to see it, I don't know. But also, Stallone is very, very interested in doing TV spin-offs for such series as Rocky and Cobra, which is one film I genuinely genuinely hated. <laughs> uh, I don't think you're alone on that one. Do you remember when John Woo was good? I do remember when John Woo was good. I remember him before he went Hollywood. Yep. And that was my entry with The Killer. Well, funnily enough, with The Killer, he's returning back to that film to do a remake of I mean, it's 1989 that film came out. He's doing a remake of that film for the Peacock streaming service. Okay. Um, The original, as you and I know, starred Chow Yun-Fat, Danny Lee and Sally Yeh, and followed an assassin who accidentally blinds a nightclub singer on his last job and then agrees to take one more job to get money to pay for expensive eye surgery. And it was packed with style, cool and great action moments. Alongside other films such as The Better Tomorrow and Hard Boiled, they were the films that cemented Wu as one to watch. And then he came over to, came over to Hollywood and it, it all went wrong from that point onwards. There have been so many attempts to westernise the killer. Uh, I remember Walter Hill being connected mm. to it for years. I've, I've got a couple of the early screenplays. Uh, it, but even then, even though they weren't badly done, they never captured the insanity of, of the John Woo version because it's, 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 a, it's a crazy, crazy movie. With, with some of the most 
audacious action sequences that you will ever see. Who knows? Why we need a, a Western remake, I don't know. Just go back and enjoy the beauty of the original. Yeah, maybe going back to his own work is the film that will enable Wu to go back to delivering something great again. We'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see. And in addition, Peacock have also struck a multi-year deal with Lionsgate that will see all of the studio's theatrical films come to the service starting from all the films this year. It brings movies exclusively to Peacock and NBC Universal uh, networks for the pay-to window starting in 2024, including things such as The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, John Wick Chapter 4, Expendables, The Borderlands Movie, Are You There, Guard It's Me, Margaret, and The Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Here's some interesting conjecture based on what you've just said, Andy, is all these studios are now having their own streaming service, yep. so that means if you want to watch... Uh, John Wick 4 again after you've seen it at the cinema and it's going straight to a, a streaming service you're not subscribed to. I wonder if one of two things will happen. There will be that window of paying to see it via video on demand yeah. or you're going to go back and get, get Blu-rays again. This might be a benefit for physical media, which has been declining over years because of streaming. Yeah, But people might start heading back to picking up the physical medias because it, if I want to rewatch a film, usually it's a film that I intend to rewatch multiple times. And so if I have to yeah. pay a rental every time that I want to watch it or pay a pay fourteen ninety nine to digitally like own it, I might as well pay thirteen ninety nine and get a Blu-ray and own it, own it. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, this could Who benefit knows? physical media. Who knows? We the, the future the future is not set. There is no fate but what we make. I think a wise yeah. woman once said that whilst carving something into a, a wooden table, and then she went off to shoot someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've got a little bit of news. Uh, Blake Lively, better known as Mrs. Ryan Reynolds, and more known for acting, even though she directed a music video for Taylor Swift, is now making the jump to feature films and directing an adaptation of creator Brian Lee O'Malley's graphic novel Seconds. Now, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was uh, probably the most famous out of the Brian Lee O'Malley adaptations, of course, brought to you by Edgar Wright, and probably right for us to do a deep dive on yeah. at some point. Um, the plot of the graphic novel focuses on a woman named Katie, who is the founding owner of a popular restaurant, Seconds. Katie lives uh, above Seconds, is woken up by one night by a mysterious white-haired girl who gives her a notepad and a single mushroom and instructs her cast a do-over spell in order to fix her past mistakes. If this uh, spell is available uh, worldwide, <laughs> could uh, the white girl please get in touch via this show? Uh, Jurassic World Dominion is going to get a Chinese release, although no date okay. is set as of yet. Uh, the last two Jurassic films made $200 million each in the Chinese market. So it's a very lucrative market for the Dino franchise. And this means that it joins the increasingly rare group of US films that get a release over there. All that we've had since last year is Dune, No Time to Die, Death on the Nile, Uncharted, and the Batman that have managed to get releases in China. Marvel films wow. haven't fared so well. Doctor Strange has joined the long list of Marvel films not seeing a release in China. Although the reasons for the latest ban are not revealed. It's usually to do with magic, isn't it? With, with China. They have a thing about magic. We've also learned recently that No Way Home, which was initially intended to get a Chinese release, was prevented from releasing the, in the country because the censors requested that the Statue of Liberty was removed from the film. And the, okay. the final act of the film is all around the Statue of Liberty. So that's a huge undertaking to ask a studio to do. So it's yeah. it's not managed to make a release. It's, it's a strange time for Chinese like US releases in the Chinese market because it used to be seen as an easy win. Film, film a couple of scenes in China. That's it. Get a Chinese cast member. Chinese market laps it up, makes loads of money. Well, that's what happened with Iron Man 2, wasn't it? Yep. 
the Chinese censors have become very, very strict and are now deciding to limit how many films from outside China actually get released over there. Interesting. Um, Frank Grillo, who we uh, we do love yeah. on the show, is starring in a new film by the Machinist director, Brad Anderson, who's good to see him back on the big screen because he's ended up kind of relegated to TV. And he, he does it fantastically well, but it's good to see Brad Anderson turning out a new feature. Yeah. He is starring in The Dagger. No, it's not a spelling mistake. The story focuses on Jack, played by Grillo, a father looking to control his family's isolated rural life when his eldest daughter comes of age and the family must confront the Dagon, terrifying deadly creatures that surround them every night. We like Frank Grillo a lot. Yeah. Uh, great screen presence. My perfect choice for The Punisher. He's just got great acting chops, but he's also got a wry humour, which yeah. works so beautifully. I, I love a good Frank Grillo film. And a lot of them are like straight to streaming. You know, they're the, the kind of straight to streaming nonsense that you kind of see Liam Neeson in yeah. these days. But because of his presence, they're so much more engaging. Yeah. The Jason Momoa film project, which was going by the working title of The Executioner, has been picked up by Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, it's billed as a fun action murder mystery and is pegged as Knives Out meets Lord of the Rings. Okay. <laughs> Hang on, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a, Run that by me again, please. Knives Out meets Lord of the Rings. It's a lot to unpack right. just in that pitch itself. Yeah. Uh, but it's also one of them that <laughs> makes you go, you know what, with that kind of like cross-linking of genres with Jason Momoa together, I mean, it re reminds me of the beginning of the player. It's Pretty Woman meets Out of Africa. It's <laughs> it's one of those. No directors attached as of yet, but the film boasts a script by the Eternal Scribes Kaz and Ryan Furpo, who most recently pens Justin Cazell's upcoming Nazi hunting film Ruin. And right. the the only last bit of news that we want to do today, and it's not really a bit of news, it's just a bit of fanboyism about a trailer that landed this past week. We got to see Weird Al trailer. I was just about to week. mention that. I was just about to mention that. Daniel Radcliffe is very much the part, and the film looks like it's going to be very much the not-quite-true representation of Weird Al's life that we expected it to be. He looks bizarrely, <laughs> bizarrely so much like Weird Al. Yes. Yeah, if you've not checked out the trailer, if you don't know who Weird Al is, he's the parody king of music who, you know, notoriously did things like uh, Eat It and Fat, spoofing Michael Jackson. And he's also done like Amish Paradise, which Coolio wasn't too happy with at the time. <laughs> and the trailer will showcase how much an accordion plays into his routines. Get the trailer watched and get ready for the movie biopic of the year. So this news will have done the rounds by the time we get to air and you get to be listening to this but of course the announcement of a new Doctor Who and it was a thing when I was a kid growing up with Doctor Who Andy that they just put it in the paper and, and that would be it. and then it got all do you remember when it got all shiny floor with Peter yeah. Capaldi yeah, I mean, Peter Capaldi's was like a, a big stage thing and it's like a half hour build up and to reveal in him. Jodie Whittaker's was that um, little tease trailer shown from the back with the hoodie up and then flips it back and you get to see her. This is a very, very much a, oh, quick, we've just announced it on Twitter. And I think, I think it's because someone was ready to leak it. I think it they be. were forced to actually drop it on Twitter because I suspect that it was going to get announced later this evening in a bit more of like a, a tease trailer kind of thing. Yeah. But we've seen examples of it where the press have had an exclusive, they've had a bit of an insider gossip and they threaten to release it unless they get this payment. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, the gutter press like to hold people to ransom. <laughs> 
Um, it's a, yep, it's a thing. Do. And I've got a nagging suspicion that this was one of those situations where it was like, well, we, we're going to reveal this unless you do this. And so the BBC have gone, we're going to beat you to the punch then. And they've literally just tweeted it out and then Facebooked it out. Social media has got it out. And the, the casting is? In- inevitable, I, I would say. Uh, I think after Jodie Whittaker, they were going to find it very difficult to going back to just a, a white man. Yeah. I, I think that was always going to be the issue. And they've chosen uh, his, his ancestry is from Rwanda, but he's actually a Scottish actor. And that's uh, Shooty Gatwa, who you might have seen in the Netflix show Sex Education. He's one of Russell T. Davis's castings. He's uh, a person of colour. In real life, he's gay, though we might have had gay Doctor Who's before and never known, because why should we? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think Russell T. Davis has got an eye for great casting. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're not going to drop the ball when you've got to figure out who to build three or four years around a character. And, uh, um, you know, he, he did bring Christopher Eccleston into the frame and he brought uh, David Tennant into the frame. And, and Tennant still is the most popular of the most recent Doctors. Uh, followed closely by Matt Smith. So, um, as I said, I think I think Russell T. Davis has has a good eye for for casting. That's my positive spin on it. This is my negative spin on it. But, well, let me rephrase that. Maybe not negative, but maybe slightly more cynical. I know what some of the press are going to to say, and we shouldn't really bother, you know, about it's all very PC, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm I'm hoping that they picked an actor who was the best actor for it, as opposed to thinking we now have to make Doctor Who a person of colour. Yeah. But we'll see. I've caught bits and pieces. I've not watched all of Sex Education, but I've caught a couple of bits and pieces of it. And he he is pretty damn good. Um oh, he was in the horrible he was in the horrible histories movie. Right. Uh which which I've I've got a soft spot for all the horrible history stuff. I love their takes the on stuff. Horrible history is great, and he's also linked to one of my upcoming um, in production must see films ever, and that's the Barbie movie. Right. From what I've seen of him, he is a solid actor. So I'm excited to see what he can bring to the role as the Doctor because everyone brings their own little bits and pieces of personality yes. to it. It's a great bit of casting. I was worried that they would have gone with someone who's a big, well-known thing to try to gain audiences back. And you get all the yeah. fan castings of who who people want. And I'm always happy. And the James Bond franchise does this as well, that they always go for someone under the radar. They never get yeah. someone who's like an A-lister because the character of the Doctor in this and in James Bond, the character of James Bond, should be what's important, not who's playing it because who's playing it is just a facet of the whole thing. Um, I love the way that uh, Shooty himself actually announced the casting on Instagram. He posted an image with two emoji hearts, a plus sign and a, a blue square because two hearts plus a blue box equals. Well, there you go. <laughs> and he's also said since I may only have one heart, but I'm giving it all to this show. So he, he's excited. I mean, of course he's excited. What a great opportunity for him. And can't wait. Can't wait. It is sad to see. I mean, you've hinted that some of the press will focus on one thing. And it is sad to see that already some of the responses on social media from people are, I see the ticking boxes. And I've got no problem with the casting, but. And it's when people add that but. And I've been talking yeah. about this at work over the past week. Whenever someone says, I've got no problem with this, but they actually mean, I've actually got a huge problem with it, but I want to try to make out that I'm not really a nasty, cynical, evil person. People are going to focus on one thing, and it's sad yes. that they have to. Like, if, you, if you've if you never heard of him, if you've never seen every stuff, check out some of his stuff. Go and check. If you're unsure who he is, you've never encountered him, 
pop sex, sex education on on Netflix and just check out an episode, see what he can deliver. Then you'll get to know what he's like. Well, do you remember the casting for Matt Smith? I mean, yeah. no one had heard of Matt Smith, especially with the other people who were, who were in the running at that particular time. There were some some pretty more popular names Ooh. who were satelliting that particular role. And you know, Matt Smith proved to be a very, very good follow-up to the clearly very, very popular tenant. And, you know, Matt Smith said, himself has said that he would he would go back to the role at a, at a, in a heartbeat, or in this case, two, two heartbeats. heartbeats. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got all faith in, in Russell T. Davis's casting. Um, his script sometimes, not as much, but he's, he's certainly his casting and everything that he's done has been absolutely spot on. Yeah. So we will see more of that. Um, and then quickly, some other news. I and mean, it's a bit more TV again. You'll have read this, but as of our recording, it's uh, it's a bit of a stop press. But Dennis Waterman has passed away aged 74. Uh, in the UK, best known for the uh, Minders TV series, which is a series I never liked. But of course, if you want to talk cinema and you want to talk one of the best TV shows ever produced in the UK. He was George Carter in The Sweeney. I used to sit and watch Minder um, with my mum. I, I, I kind of grew up with it. So that's where I kind of knew him from. Sweeney was just slightly before my my time. I, I, you know, I, I was alive when it came out, but at the age of three, you don't really tune into hard, gritty um, crime dramas. No, no. So Minder was, was the one that latched me onto it. Uh, yeah, sad, sad news. Uh, great actor. Uh, 74, yeah. nice innings. But, you know, still fairly young these days and uh, was a bit of a British icon. He was, uh, I remember him being in a series with a really old friend of mine. She starred uh, opposite him. So um, I'm going to get in touch and see how she feels about it. But uh, uh, as I said, there were two Sweeney movies, if we want to relate this to, to film. And the first one's okay, but the second one is absolutely a brilliant bit of, of thriller cinema and the fact that it's based on a great TV show but the second movie is superb if you ever get a chance and hopefully they'll show uh, both Sweeney movies but the, if if you get the chance to see the second one uh, before we go a little bit of sad news last week we mentioned the passing of the great comic book artist Neil Adams and I suggested you give Kevin Smith's uh, Fat Man Beyond uh, a listen if you wanted to hear an amazing five hour interview with with neil adams which was uh purely stunning so further bad news this week for the comic industry so uh sorry film guys if you're wanting to to hear about film geekness but just for a brief moment indulge me as we talk about comic book legend george perez who passed away on friday age uh, 67 came to prominence in the 1970s for penciling the fantastic four and the avengers and basically redefined the look of comics he had uh, an absolutely unique style. He uh, was detailed. All of his work had a, had a beautiful amount of, uh, of detail. He was renowned for drawing team books and would draw multitudes of characters in one setting. And each one of those characters, he Im embedded personality just through his pencils. He moved over to DC where he relaunched the, the New Teen Titans, which is the influence for the TV series, The Titans. Uh, he penciled the landmark limited series, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which changed comic book history. He relaunched Wonder Woman's both writer and penciler and, and brought Wonder Woman bang up today. Uh, his Justice League versus the Avengers is just a, an amazing piece of work, beautifully done, and is being re-released to tie in because he's had cancer for some time 
uh, before his sad passing. And uh, it's just a, a beautiful piece of work. One of the top artists of my lifetime. Uh, I love George Perez's work. He never failed to deliver a comic that didn't have just beautiful layouts, beautiful pencils. Yeah. And uh, and it's a sad loss to the industry. I know he's been ill for some time, but uh, our condolences to his friends and families. And, and even more so, our condolences to the industry. Just a, a genius, genius artist and will be will be absolutely missed. And that is this week's The News. So thank you as ever for sticking around for The Film File. There's much more to come as we look into this week's deep dive and we'll be giving you reviews of Doctor Strange. But before that, the bit that I have to do, the little bit of sell. If you don't subscribe to The Film File, then please do so. Head over to your favorite podcast platform, check out the film file and hit that subscription button. And remember to leave a like. And hey, while you're at it, please leave a review. There's so much more we want to do with our ambitions to basically take over the world. The world. <laughs> and the geeks will inherit the earth. I'm pretty sure of that. And if they're not, then they ought to. So if you want to know more about the film file, you can do so quite easily by doing exactly this head on over to twitter follow us at film file uk look for us on other social media platforms film file uk is what you're looking for or you can email us thoughts suggestions reviews top 10 lists anything at all just drop us an email podcast at filmfile.uk you can even send us homing pigeons we might not send it back but you can send a homing pigeon <laughs> well thankfully i'm vegetarian so i won't be eating said homing pigeon. i can't promise anything <laughs> okay. And now it's time for this week's deep dive into Sam Raimi's Darkman. Who is Darkman? I gotta tell you something about me. He has the power to look like any man. There's two of both of them! But he is unlike any man. I know who's behind our little troubles of late. In the darkest hour, there's a light that shines on every human being but one. Dark Man, rated R. Directed by Sam Raimi, co-written by Sam Raimi, starring Liam Neeson. This was a 1990 superhero film, just before superheroes became the films of the moment. Uh, Raimi wrote and paid homage to Universal's horror films of the 1930s, and Liam Neeson starred as scientist Peyton Westlake, who, in true comic book fashion, after being brutally attacked, is disfigured, left for dead by a ruthless mobster. And after his girlfriend attorney, Julia Hastings, runs afoul of corrupt developer. And after an experimental cure to Peyton Westlake to heal burn injuries fails, Westlake develops superhuman abilities, which also have the unintended side effect of rendering mentally unstable and borderline psychotic consumed with vengeance he decides to hunt down those who disfigured him so it's a kind of a cross between every superhero origin movie and as Raimi being a big horror fan uh, I think uh, the Phantom of the Opera so Sam Raimi had been unable at that point in his career to get the rights to the shadow and to Batman he decided to create his own superhero and struck a deal with Universal to make the first Hollywood studio film Produced by uh, Robert Tapper, who produced most of Raimi's films, and written with his brother Ivan and comic book writer Chuck Ferrara, Darkman hit the screens 
and there were subsequent sequels Darkman 2 the return of Durant and Darkman 3 die Darkman die as well as a host of comic books video games and action figures so why don't we know more about the superhero Darkman and is it overshadowed by Sam Raimi's future superhero directing work I think it's safe to say that Sam Raimi probably wouldn't have ever got the Spider-Man gig if he hadn't have created this superhero himself and demonstrated his love of the comic book genre because this is a film that even though it's not adapted from a comic book it feels like it actually should be and it it plays out very comic booky it looks very comic booky and it's just got the energy of all the best comic books of the time just with a wholly new creative character now i was lucky to see this on the big screen when it first came out yay i was finally old enough to see something on the big screen that we've been talking back on (laughs) and i remember me and my mates watching this and then after we'd seen it at the cinema we couldn't wait for the home release so we'd actually like rent it or one of us buy it on vhs and watch it over and over again because it just captured it captured the spirit of like the previous year's batman you know that tim burton brought this dark edge batman-esque nature and Darkman seemed to tap perfectly into that same kind of style. And Liam Neeson's casting, at the time, Liam Neeson was known for his serious dramas. He was known for, like, you know, just being a serious actor. This was his first foray into action films. And I know that these days he's in far too many action films. I mean, he churns out four or five a year, <laughs> which all drop straight onto streaming and I end up watching. But this was a time when casting someone like Liam Neeson in a, in a role like this made people go, Whoa, really? And he's got such a good approach for it. I did read somewhere that he did a lot of research for the role, including going to burn survivors support groups okay, to learn how people who have suffered from disfiguring burns cope with everyday life and how, you know, how they got over their shame of who, like what they've become, et cetera, and what kind of issues it gave them. So he, he completely committed to it. He didn't just see it as a flip and throw away comic book role. He saw it as something more than what it was. And you can see that in his performance throughout because he really grounds it. As much as it goes overboard and some of the effects work gives you like comic booky moments like him getting it during the disfiguring explosion. He is launched out of the warehouse that he's set up in and flies through the air and crashes into the river. And it looks ridiculously over the top. But that doesn't break it away from the fact that you care about Liam Neeson's character as he strives to win back the affectations of the love of his life, played, again, not someone who you'd normally have in a comic book movie, by Francis McDormand. And I think it is having people who aren't what you consider low-budget action stars of the time in the role, having serious actors and actresses in roles in this film makes it feel something different. Yeah, it does. I mean, it plays to all of Sam Raimi's strengths. You know, he's a big fan of superhero movies, clearly a monster fan. uh, And he got to combine those in which is essentially the origin movie of the Dark Man. Yeah. And it just has all of Raimi's visual tricks in it as well. Yeah. Initially, Bruce Campbell was supposed to be in the lead role because, you know, Bruce had worked with Sam Raimi on pretty much all of his films. But the studio had balked at the idea of Bruce Campbell because they said he wasn't big enough. And that's the only reason that Liam Neeson ended up stepping into this role. Yeah, because at one point they wanted Gary Oldman. That would have been interesting. <laughs> and looked I, at Bill Paxton. See, I, I want, you know, with Gary Oldman, 
I feel if he had been cast, and we've seen how Gary Oldman does this, is sometimes he, if he, if the material's a bit jokey in nature, he kind of over-exaggerates it. Yeah, think of Fifth Element. There yeah. you go. I think that might have damaged it. It's like I say, it's the fact that Liam Neeson approached this as a serious role that makes it work because whilst it's comic booky and cartoony around him, he's never comic booky and cartoony. I love the visual flair in this film. I love the effects work. I love the style. Impressive how well the prosthetics stand up. Yeah, I mean, it, they didn't do anything different with him than had been done in anything previously. He's just got that that classic look. I mean, they always say that the best superheroes that you can take a pose and do them as a silhouette, and we still know who that character is. Yeah. And and I think that worked with with Darkman because he has broad fedora, a little bit like the shadow. The way that he's hunkered over looks, you know, he's gone for the 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 full on uh, superhero pose, and I think that's what works with Darkman. It's a it's a good look. The um, eyes peering through the bandages and the prosthetics but it doesn't take away the humanity that Liam Neeson's pouring through the prosthetics either you also have the menace of Durant as played by Larry Drake who is one of those actors who is physically imposing and has a really serious approach to things and he's very dominating even when he's kind of cracking some humor moments but doing them perfectly straight like they're point one Point two, and he's chopping off fingers. And then point three, I've got seven more points to make. And it's moments like that that it makes you go, whoa, this guy's this guy's nuts. Yeah, and serious about his job. You've got to remember Larry Drake was best known for L.A. Law at that point, where he was playing somebody with uh, learning difficulties. So I think some, what, what I've read for about Sam Raimi is he saw something like an Edward G. Robinson in with him and his stature and his size and his look made him the perfect perfect foil for Darkman. And you need a great villain when you've got an interesting superhero. That's the best dynamic. A weak uh, a weak villain and a superhero uh, can't shine. And, and this is, it's, it's, as well as being called Darkman, is a, is a very much a dark take on the superhero genre. And it walks a thin line at moments between horror that we were used to. Uh, and then you've got the sort of the gruesome and then you've got the very broad Sam Raimi that he, he brought to some of the later Evil Dead movies, a couple of scenes in particular. And and then you've got, got the style that led him, as you said, to the role of Spider-Man director. Yep. If there's one weak element in this film, I think it's the other villain of the piece. The, the character of Louis Strack, played by Colin Friels, feels unnecessarily tacked in. And I get that he's supposed to be the grand manipulator that gets revealed, spoiler alert, it's a film that's like 30-odd years old. Um, I get he's supposed to be the master manipulator and it's supposed to be a, a, a twist that it happens. But right from the offset, offset, he plays too creepily. Yes, yeah. And it's like he's trying to play a comic book villain. And when it gets to the final confrontation in the, you know, the, the structure of the being developed skyscraper, that it, it loses its edge a bit. I felt that the film ended beautifully before that with the crashing helicopter. We didn't yeah. need that tacked on extra villain with a confrontation to really drag it out. And that's the only thing that drags it down, but it doesn't drag it down too much because it's still a film that was an absolute joy to revisit. I'd not revisited this for about two decades. And this is because this is one of those films that I enjoyed it so much, I was worried that revisiting it would damage my memories of it. 
that I'll suddenly spot all the flaws and it wouldn't hold up. But I was staggeringly surprised at how well it held up to what my memories were. Well, actually, the opposite for me. Um, I remember, I can't remember if I saw this at the cinema. I think I did. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I did, but uh, my, my memory doesn't serve me as well as it should. Uh, I found it to be broader than what I remembered. Now, it's some years since I've seen it. Uh, and I found some of the comedy elements a little bit campy. Uh, there's one scene in particular which throws me out, which is, you know, with the scene where uh, Liam Neeson's talking to himself, he gets, he gets a little tin hat and puts it on or, or the, the oil can thing. And, and that scene just, just completely threw me out of the movie. Uh, you know, he's dancing around, he's doing that jig type thing. That felt as though Raimi was fighting against style and his, his sort of broad humour side and his broad horror side, mm. like some of the more comedic elements in, in uh, Evil Dead 2, for instance which while I, I love Evil Dead 2, there are a couple of scenes where I go, I wince a little bit. And, and I felt that watching it fresh. But I, I, I love the design of the character. The more solid superhero, and especially the alter ego scenes, uh, play very, very well. You know, the carnival sequence, for instance. And, and Liam Neeson is proving here that he's, he's a capable leading man and, and, you know, and managed to keep that role for the next 30 years. Yep. Like you said, at the head of this, uh, the film spawns two sequels, The Return of Durant and Die, Darkman, Die. I've never seen those. Neither are worth checking out. I have seen them in the past. They, they cast Arnold Vosloo in the lead okay. and they went straight to DVD and they deserve to go straight to DVD. They were interesting ways to expand it further, but they just didn't have, they didn't have the production polish that the first film had. Uh, Raimi has, however, whilst out promoting the next film that we're going to talk about today, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, replied to a question about Darkman, where he said, Universal is talking about a Darkman sequel. There's a producer attached. I haven't heard the story yet or gone into it. I've been so busy with this movie, but I think it's cool. So it seems that Darkman might be coming back to the screens at some point in the future. It's always been on the cards. I mean, you mentioned uh, the the other two sequels, which I've not seen. I know didn't star uh, Liam Neeson, and I don't think were connected to Raimi. Maybe some cosmetic producer angle yeah. to it. Uh, there was going to be a TV series at one point. Uh, Universal financed a thirty minute television pilot with British director Brian Grant uh, ready to shoot it. Larry Drake reprised his role as as Durant. Uh, but nothing ever came of it. So there's always been a bit of love for it. You know what? If you want to bring back a superhero movie now and Netflix or Prime would be the perfect place for this, now is the best time ever. Yeah. Uh, so that was Darkman. We'll have another deep dive next week. But Andy, if you want to catch Darkman, where can you find it? You can you can rent it on pretty much every network. It's not available for free anywhere at this point in time. A couple of quid for a rental or just go and purchase it. Um, I think it's worth a purchase, especially if you're a Sam Raimi fan, and especially if you're a fan of Sam Raimi with a Danny Elfman score to it, uh, because Danny Elfman's score in this, I mean, it does have thematic similarities to a certain other costumed hero from a year before it, but that's Danny Elfman for you. It's a cracking bit of comic book fun. So pick it up, get the, get the Blu-ray, treat yourself. And now it's time for this week's reviews. And of course, there's only one really big review to be had and it's not a sky original it is of <laughs> course the mcu's latest entry into their pantheon of characters a sequel to doctor strange 
This is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The multiverse. It's life or death. Could use an Avenger. There are other Avengers. We'll get you back on the lunchbox. The fate of the multiverse depends on us. No pressure, then. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So Andy and I both got to see Doctor Strange uh, a couple of days ago uh, in ahead of any of the reviews yet. So it was always interesting to see what people were going to say about it. Uh, we are going to be very careful and try not to spoil some of the big giveaways. So what shall we do, Andy? Um, how do you want to play this? I think if we talk about it non-spoilerific... And then what we'll do is we'll talk about some of the spoiler stuff separately, which will be tagged on to the end of the show. That way, if people don't want the spoilers, then once you get to the end of the show and you hear that famous theme tune of ours, stop the recording there. Okay, that's fair. You don't have to listen to spoilers. Actually, I've been, I've been quite disturbed since this movie came out, seeing the amount of giveaways in some of the reviews, which is very disappointing. Yeah. Uh, yes, some of them said spoilers, but if you want to know what a movie is like, because sometimes that's your in to whether you think you're going to go and see it. So uh, I, I, we're very clear about it. There will be no spoilers in this portion of it. OK, so the plot. After encountering a girl, American Chavez, who has the power to traverse the multiverse, Doctor Strange turns to Wanda Maximoff for advice and help with fighting off the monstrous, mysterious entity that is on the girl's trail. However... It seems that Wanda, also now known as the Scarlet Witch, has her own plans. And one that is going to jeopardise the very multiverse itself. So Andy and I tried not to talk about this, so I don't know how similar or dissimilar our choices are. I'm going to start with some of the positives for me, and I think Andy will just jump in all over the place and, and, <laughs> and discuss it rather than try and do our own version of it. So I think for me, this is what the first time that a Marvel film needed right at the top end previously on Doctor Strange, uh, as this is a direct sequel to WandaVision to a degree. Yes, uh, this it's not just a direct sequel. You can see it as an epilogue to that series. This Anyone going into this blind who's never seen any MCU, not seen any of the TV series, and was just thinking, ah, oh, a bit of two hours of escapism, is going to sit there completely confused as to anything going on. This is not a film that panders to people who haven't caught up. This just throws you straight in and expects you to roll with it. If anything, that kind of that kind of worked. I, I, that worked slightly as a negative for me. Uh, me too. I, I, again, I think we're in a, agreement. Uh, I mean, you've got to have seen One Division. You've got to have seen Spider Man No Way Home, uh, and to a degree, you've got to have seen What If, because there's a reoccurring character from the What If show. The first Doctor Strange, the Steve Derrickson one, was uh, a well-contained origin movie. Yeah. Uh, that made us want to see more of Doctor Strange. And that's what I wanted to see with this movie. I wanted to see more of the adventures of Doctor Strange without it bleeding out into the rest of the MCU. I'm, I'm finding the films I'm enjoying most at the moment are the films that are standalones. Yeah. I don't need every film to be related, as I don't need every comic to be related to, uh, uh, to, an, to another series. I remember the days... Yeah especially the 90s comics where you had to buy an X-Men comic and then see that follow-up in Wolverine to then see that follow-up in half a dozen other titles. 
it feels yeah. a little bit like that. Yeah, if you keep that comic book a- a- analogy, then this feels like it was a crossover event where you had to read some crossover titles, but they've not given us them. Look, look at the comic book of Civil War, which was eight issues, but you had to have read 400 other issues from other yeah. titles in order to get the full story. And that's what this feels like. It feels like Civil War the comic, because Civil War the comic was battle after battle after battle after battle. You had to get the story elsewhere. And this, this film picks up straight at the start. I mean, we start off almost slow with a wedding, but straight away thrust into an action sequence. And then it doesn't let up. It just rolls from one event after another after another with no moment to breathe until the final confrontation. And that's my problem. This is, we know that this is a short Marvel film. It's two hours, six minutes, including end credits. They're normally two hours, 20 to two hours, 30, sometimes two hours, 40. And this is the first time that I've left a Marvel film thinking that needed more to it. Not I would have liked to have seen more, which I've had with, you know, there's so many Marvel films that I've loved so much. It was like, I'd have sat through another hour of that. This is, I needed this to have more. It needed to have maybe 20 more minutes to slow itself down, allow us to care, particularly about America Chavez, who kind of gets sidelined when you feel that she should have been the lead focus for the film. Yeah, I, I totally agree. She ends up being a MacGuffin. She ends up being a living, breathing MacGuffin because she has nothing to her because it feels that everything about her was cut and left to one side just to keep it rapidly flowing through the film. So what we get is we get set piece followed by set piece followed by set piece. And as you said, there's not much in the way of room to breathe between the set pieces. And let's be honest, the set pieces all in all, are pretty spectacular. And oh, yeah. One is, is one of the most inventive things I think I've seen on screen, which is when uh, Doctor Strange weaponizes the notes from a, a sheet of uh, piano music and, and tosses them around like weapons, which is whimsical and daring and unique. It reminded me a little bit, strangely enough, of Roger Corman's The Raven when uh, uh, Vincent Price and Boris Karloff are, are, are battling. But it was the the more low key moments because it, it moves at such a pace that you are just bombarded. Now, from what I've heard from from contacts out there, that there was a three hour cut that Sam Raimi uh, delivered for this. And okay, so three hours is a long time, but you know, cut it down, of course, but leave the beats, leave the emotion, leave time to move on mm. to the next sequence because it is just relentless. Now, it's an amazingly visual movie, and Sam Raimi is given the role to be Sam Raimi. So anybody's worried when you step into it that has he been neutered? Absolutely not. And there are moments which are just pure. Uh, I'm going to use the word horror. Horror Sam Raimi. Very reminiscent of the Evil Dead and Evil Dead 3. Sam Raimi through and through in this. You've got his skewed camera angles, his zip pans, his horror themes. This film is the first MCU film that I think really taps into the darker edges of the Marvel Universe, albeit at a 12A level. So there's no blood, there's no gore, but there's moments of, you know, shall we say, charred and screaming folk, as well as deaths on screen and undeath on screen. All this in amongst the energetic fun and many blink and you'll miss it moments. It's it's definitely close to horror. Some people say, how can you have a horror at twelve at a 12A rating? Does everyone forget films such as The Woman in Black that shows that horror doesn't have to be highly rated? If you can tap into the darker elements, you don't have to have arms and decapitation and blood and guts and entrails. That's not horror. 
horror is something that chills, frightens, scares, and that can be done at a 12A level. And I think he's done a great job of it because uh, I'd think twice about taking someone under the age of eight to see this film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like we are being particularly negative and, and there are a lot of positives to take away from this. Let's start with the cast. Cumberbatch is charming as ever in the lead role. He can be funny, he can do tragedy as we know, and he can do certainly do the heroic and, and let you believe in Doctor Strange as a character. Mm. There were moments that I wanted again to see explored, which is his decision that he had to come to to help defeat Thanos. Uh, and letting the woman that he loves get away. Uh, And I thought it was fantastic to see Rachel McAdams because she was so underused in the first movie, return and be given something to do. Elizabeth Olsen explores a very different side to Wanda, but something that we'd been hinted at before, and shines through with a role that is... She walks a delicate path with it, and of course, because she's so good, she succeeds. But she's not given enough at the beginning of the film to lead us into the decisions that she's making. And, and again, if you've not seen WandaVision, you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of out there. Got to point out, Benedict Wong is always a delight when he's on screen and his rapport with uh, Doctor Strange and with Cumberbatch is, is, is excellent. So th- there are some, there are many, many things that, I, that are positives about it. And I, I didn't have a, have a good time with it. I had, I, had a, I had a really enjoyable time. It just feels noisy. It feels too quickly paced, and therefore it's a bit like anything. When you you speed it up, you miss the subtleties, and it feels a little bit a little bit messy. But I do hope, and I really do hope that that clearly they they are looking at a third film that they bring Raimi back for it. Yeah, I, same as you. It's it, I rate this alongside the first Doctor Strange film, which I consider a mid tier Marvel film. Okay, I think it's a little bit underrated, personally. It was enjoyable. I had a good time watching it. And, yeah, it's got a great Danny Elfman score. I do love Danny Elfman's score in this. Um, He's got, he does little nods and beats and references to some of the cameo moments as they take place. And the cameos, you know, we'll talk more about them at the end of the show. Don't believe everything that you heard out there on the leak world over the past few months. And I think that's one of the biggest problems this film's got is that, Over the past couple of months, people have built up this idea of what this film will be in their head based on rumours, leaks, fan speculation, and it will never live up to that. It's also following hotly on the footsteps of a film that did similar things on the Spider-Verse aspect. And its I don't think it's as enjoyable as that film. And some people will sadly say that this is a garbage film because it doesn't live up to what Spider-Man was. It's not a garbage film. It's a cracking piece of entertainment. It's yes. well shot. Like you've said before, the action is so well done. There's some moments visually that you just want to revisit the film just to see these action beats play out again because you couldn't take it all in in one go. I just feel that it was too too tightly packed together. I wanted it to tell a story a bit better and I wanted it to do more justice to the character of America Chavez, who I know the potential of because I love the comics and I feel that she was un- underplayed in this film. Yeah, I want to see a third film now, which which is has opened up the horror door. Yeah. And we get a sequel to Doctor Strange as opposed to world building. And, and that's always when Marvel doesn't land with me. Yeah. When it's considering world building, the, the universe, 
as opposed to telling just a great story. That's uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Playing gets all cinemas at the moment, including uh, one in New York um, City, which is showing 70 shows per day, apparently. Um, Get yourself down to the cinema, enjoy it. But like I say, if you've got really young'uns and they can kind of get scared quite easily, maybe consider not taking them along. This is a 12A for a reason. 12A means that you should take some parental responsibility because there might be some dark dark matter in here and there's some very, very dark and scary moments. While we're in the world of Marvel then, Andy, shall we just quickly give our thoughts on uh, Moon Knight as a series and in particular the last episode? Yes. So we've been following the show. We mentioned uh, Moon Knight when the first episode had dropped and we said that we'd come back to it at the end of the season because we wanted... Instead of our doing our weekly jump in and updates and not really being able to talk too much about it, we wanted to wait until the whole thing had played out this time. And I think I think that's been a wise choice because this has been a series that, just as with um, Doctor Strange, people had expectations of what it should be and it's played very, very differently to what people expected it to be. It benefited from when you see the whole thing together. Because people expected this to be a street-level, beat like Daredevil-esque, Batman-esque kind of crime drama series. And it was something completely different. It was an action-adventure inspired by your Indiana Joneses and all those, like, period... like All those, like, adventure serials, but given a Marvel slant as it explored the origin of Moon Knight. And over the series, we got not only a great action adventure, but then in the latter half of the series, when he died, you got to see the more exploratory nature of personality and coming to terms with grief, sorrow, and childhood trauma. It's a series that has tackled so many mature issues throughout it. And it's had me hooked throughout, particularly with the visual flair and stylings that it added to all the mythology around it. And then you get to the final episode and the final episode stuck the landing beautifully. I, I agree. I, this is uh, one of my my favourite shows. I think this and Hawkeye are, are kind of top of the list at the moment. Mm. And I liked it because it was uh, detached from the rest of the MCU, even though there, there are a few nods to it, but you can watch this in isolation of it. Everything that I found wrong with Doctor Strange. It did something different with the character except that it didn't because there have been that many iterations of moon knight as a character yes he started out as a as a kind of a villain then in the late 70s and the 80s he became batman-esque you know right down to the fact that he was a billionaire yeah then they went with the whole the whole uh fist of koshnu which this series is very much based on yeah then the the brian michael bendis run which again redeveloped the character uh, and played up the unstableness of the character's mindset. And then, of course, you had the recent runs, which had the Mr. Knight character, and you got, which this series was heavily influenced, the Jeff Lemire series, in which all the identities were kind of understood as to why they existed and, and met each other, strangely enough, in a, a psychiatric ward that may or may have not have been of this earth. Um, so there was there was a lot of recognisable points. So this character has had many, many split personalities, depending on when you came into it. One of the things they couldn't do, they couldn't do Daredevil, and they couldn't do a Batman-esque character, because everyone would have said, he's just like Batman. So yeah. clearly they had to play with a different canvas, and, and, and that's why it works. Um, and again, this works down to the fantastic casting 
and uh, Oscar Isaacs carries Moon Knight with remarkable portrayals of, of initially two minds inhabiting one body. And yeah. the moments when he flips character uh, from mild-mannered Stephen Grant to uh, Mark Spector with literally a blink of the eyes, it's, it's just been some fantastic performances uh, and worthy of awards, though I doubt it'll go there. I, I think it's worthy of, of, of awards. Yep, completely agree. This is within my top tier of Marvel TV shows to date. I know that it was initially pitched as a one-season one miniseries and done, but it was noticed that instead of being a series finale coming up, it's season finale was coming up in the last few episodes, which suggests that they're now considering taking it forward. I don't know whether it it would need another season or whether I'd like to see, maybe see Moon Knight move into the Blade movie when that comes to the big screen. Yeah. But I'd be very excited to see any further news and any further developments on this character because I have loved every moment of it. And now I'm more and more intrigued to see the Jake character play out his part. Yeah, well, you can't leave the series with that little cliffhanger without exploring more about it because that just opens up for the for the next season interestingly enough the moon knight character is, is probably the least interesting out of all the personalities because <laughs> it's a it's a character in a in a hood and a mask it's yeah it, it just proves that if you're going to do superheroes uh you have to have the great alternate identity to get you to that point otherwise you're looking at somebody who's either cgi or uh a, a character whose face is hidden or partially hidden. So uh, I, th I think Oscar Isaac knocked it out of the park and we got something very, very unique that opened up the MCU into this other world of magic, which you clearly play into the next Thor movie with the idea of more than one set of gods. Uh, we got scope. You know, this show was shot in the States, in Budapest, in, in Cairo and in London and feels international. And, and we got a couple of episodes where the caved version of Moon Knight didn't even appear. Mm -hmm. But that didn't matter because this was the Stephen, Mark and Layla show. And that's what made it interesting. So, as you said, let's bring on another season because I think there's an awful lot more to explore in this bizarre love triangle of a film. <laughs> Andy, what else have you got review-wise? So let's start with Marmaduke. And another comic book character adapted from a newspaper strip um, it, which is very popular in the US, maybe yeah. not as much of a hit over here, and arrived on Netflix in animated form. We have to do something about Marmaduke. He's a handful. Awesome! What? Oh! Oh! Susie's video of Marmaduke has gone viral. A dog like this is impossible to train, even for the world's greatest dog trainer, Guy Hilton. I can turn your dog into a champion. Now, the popular newspaper strip hound, a clumsy Great Dane, is brought to animated life of sorts in this Netflix animated offering. Pete Davidson voices Marmaduke and J.K. Simmons voices Zeus, an Afghan hound who proves to be Marmaduke's nemesis in a dog show. But don't let those two names fool you into thinking any care has been put into this film as both stars lend absolutely nothing to the voices and were clearly just paying the bills with this one. At the same time, the animators clearly decided that the way to go 
was to give the movie a retro kind of style that makes it look like early Pixar. Not early Toy Story Pixar, but early short films Pixar, which makes for a hard watch. I get that maybe they were trying to style it like a comic strip, but everything just fails to work as a result, and the characters have zero charm or personality to them. The film leans too much into fart and poop jokes. The film had only one moment that I thought was a nice idea, but then it played it out in completely the wrong way. Whilst the rest is exactly what you would expect if someone said they were dragging a newspaper four-panel strip to the screen. It feels simple and slight, only dragged out to a length that outstays its welcome pretty early on. Yes, I know I'm not the target audience. I know that this is aimed at young kids, but kids should be given a little bit more respect than this deems them. Kids aren't stupid, and cheap animation immediately puts them off when they're so used to much more polished output from studios. Heck, even the recent Paw Patrol movie, a film that I would normally sneer at, it at least looks polished, it at least attempts something, and it at least doesn't talk down to the audience. I remember myself as a kid turning my nose up at cheaper fantasy animations because they look like trash compared to things like Bakshi's Lord of the Rings or even Rankin Bass's Flight of Dragons. Marmaduke is low-quality animation in a time when high-quality animation can come from even the cheapest studios. And Marmaduke, as a result, is immediately missable. Okay, yeah, well, he looked as much, I've got to be honest. I hate to judge a film by by how it looks, but yeah. Andy, you're doing the Lord's work, I'm telling you. <laughs> you sit through the stuff that, that other people don't have to. Well, I then also sat through the next film, which is those three dreaded words, A, Sky, Original. Yes, it's Bruce Willis's outing in Deadlock. Ronald Whitlock? I'm not sure if you heard, but there's been an incident. My son? Cops killed him. It's a bit more complicated than that. It's crystal clear to me. I did not think I'd see your ass in work today. We come from tougher cloth than that. Weren't you like ex-military or something? Yeah. You're a fugitive. You killed two cops. I got a bone to pick. For my son. Deadlock sees a team of rogue mercenaries take control of an energy plant and hold everyone hostage, whilst threatening a nearby town with flooding and destruction. In this Bruce Willis starring, die-hard-esque action thriller from director Jared Cohn. The twist? Bruce Willis is the bad guy. And Patrick Muldoon. Remember him? That other guy in Starship Troopers? No? Oh well. He's playing the retired army ranger who's the one person who can save the day. Cohn's track record is all you need to know to work out what to expect here. As he's given us such delightful output as um, Atlantic Rim, Little Dead Rotting Hood, Devil's Revenge... Oh, and not forgetting the, the great majesty of 12-12-12. Yes, when 2012 came around and 2012, the movie came out, of course, 12-12-12 was a cheap rip-off of that idea. Deadlock takes the diehard formula and simply transposes it to a hydroelectric plant. It plays as flatly and generically as you would expect and with the level of performances that we've come to expect from those involved. It is worth noting, however, that Willis who we know was taking on any quick roles to prepare for retirement due to health issues, actually seems to almost be trying in this film. 
in a lot of his recent years output, he clearly doesn't have a care at all and he delivers everything flatly. But here, he does chuckle and crack smiles at times and seems to be a bit more engaged. Maybe it's the similarities with the Die Hard franchise and it gives him a chance to play the other side of that and that meant something to him. Who knows? But suffice to say, it did somewhat remind me of what it is that we all miss about Bruce Willis on screen. That aside, everything else is generic, bland, low-budget nonsense and immediately forgettable, even whilst watching it. Seriously, I kept forgetting why events were transpiring throughout and occasionally had to skip back a few minutes to play catch-up on myself. In the UK, this got released on Sky with the three words, A Sky Original which told you everything that you needed to know. Well, it's hard now, isn't it, to sort of judge Bruce Willis because we know that he was making these choices to basically proffer up his bank account and not have to worry yeah. about the way that his life was uh, turning out, sadly turning out. Um, it is a shame that he won't be remembered in his, his later uh, his later years for anything decent. And, of course, we're all going to judge the, the later years as, as, you know, predominantly garbage. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to think of Bruce Willis, go go back to the highlights of his work: Die Hard, Last Boy Scout, Fifth Element. You know when he was at at his peak, uh, and and sadly, yeah. you know, we, as I say, we know why he did them. It's a shame that that they're out there. Really, that's our reviews. Andy, what can we expect over the next week? Is uh, Doctor Strange going to be on the run from the other cinema outings, or has he got? pretty much a level playing field well after a few weeks of there only being one new release per week uh, we've actually got a few landing this week we've got Firestarter, the new stephen king adaptation oh is that next week that's next week blimey charlie i thought for some reason i thought that was was months away it's yeah it's just come around uh, we've got everything everywhere all at once which uh, seems Can't thematically wait. perfect to link with multiverse of madness because it looks like a better multiverse of madness yes We've also got Father Stew, which is the Mark Wahlberg personal journey kind of film that he was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Now TV and Sky are showing Ghostbusters Afterlife, so there's a chance to jump back into that nostalgic beauty. Still got to catch up with it, Andy. Netflix has Senior Year, which is a comedy starring Rebel Wilson. I will not be watching this one. I don't care what my commitment is to watching bad films. <laughs> That's as far as I will go. You know, we're talking what we talked about Netflix earlier. I'm just hanging on for uh, Stranger Things, which is due in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Umbrella Academy. Yeah. And Sandman. And then after that, that might be the time to to uh, release my Netflix contract. Um, over on Amazon, you've got Respect, the Jennifer Hudson-led mm, um, Aretha like Franklin that. biopic. It, it's worth checking it's out, but it's just too tropish and too generic. Check out our review. And uh, Disney Plus, Sneakerella, a modern day Cinderella take which sees an aspiring sneaker designer working as a stock boy who has a chance encounter with a Manhattan princess charming. <sighs> I'll end up watching that one. You know Moving I Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to. You don't have to do all this. Don't do it to you. Remember, you're going to be out of... Well, you're going to be away from home. Perhaps that's all you're going to be doing. Yeah, maybe. Find out which one of these shocking films I watched next week. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's about it for this week. But before we go, and we do this every week if you're a loyal listener, and that is our neat things. Things that we've watched, enjoyed, you name it, we'll tell you our neat thing and share with you. So Andy, as ever, goes first. So Andy your neat thing well i'm going back to a, a usual favorite here and that's humble bundle oh cool humble bundle regularly do not just gaming deals but they do books and comic deals 
And there's a couple at the moment that might be worth checking out. The first one right. is that they've got they've got a 30th anniversary of Image Bundle, which gives us wow, 30 years, 30 of years of Image gives us some of the Spawn Origins um, compilations, but as well as some gra- uh, graphic novels of Savage Dragon, Baptism of Fire, Astro City, and much much more. And it's a 19 pounds and five pence will get you all nine graphic novels. And when I say all nine graphic novels for the Spawn Origins, it's all 20 volumes. That they've released. Oh, so it's the omnibus editions. Yes, um, it's also got Cyberforce in there. Shadow Hawk. Remember Shadow Hawk? I do. Uh, it's Savage Dragon, Witchblade, The Darkness. Volumes upon volumes upon volumes of each of these. It's a huge package, well worth picking up. Wow. But also, they've got at the moment a European sci-fi and fantasy comics series, which includes all the Valerian series. And I've had my eye on the Valerian, the Laureline series of graphic novels to collect for a while it's like 23 volumes i believe in the whole series Um, yeah it's huge i mean it's been running for for years so alongside other graphic novels from the like french market of graphic novel sci-fi of distance worlds namibia and so on and so forth all 23 volumes of the valerian laureline 19 pound and six pence 54 items in total within there if you're a comic book fan of any kind of genre, always check in on Humble Bundle because this week alone they are going to cost me a fortune uh, because they've been dropping so many. Comic it all bundles. goes to a good cause, doesn't it? There's, yeah, you can de- decide on the slider as to how much goes to Humble Bundle, how much goes to the developer, and how much goes to charity. So each of the bundles is raising money for charity. When they did the Ukraine appeal, their Ukraine appeal, all the money went to charity on that one and with that i've got a wealth of video games that i'll never get around to playing but if you've never checked out humble bundle it's well worth popping into because i spend a lot of money there for a very good reason i'm raising money for a good cause and i'm getting a huge bargain at the same time you can choose if you want to to pay more you don't have to pay that 19 pounds you can pay more than 19 pounds but check it out especially for the image 30 year one and the valerians selection marvellous i've got a lot of comics this this is what i'm going to be doing when i'm down in banbury i'm just going to be reading yeah. comics i don't blame you it's a perfect opportunity to catch up what i do highly suggest and i i don't know if i've made it my neat thing at any point uh and i will do now the new uh new run started as i mentioned it earlier is saga by brian k vaughan and mm. you will thank me for it my neat thing for this week is uh off the back end of us talking about paramount plus uh, and i mentioned to andy as we were heading home after Doctor Strange the other week, is the opening title sequence to Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Because if you've not seen any of the trailers, which look fantastic, check out the opening title. It's everything that being a Star Trek fan is about. It is the joy of the Enterprise. It's closer to the original Star Trek titles than than anything else that that's come afterwards especially in recent uh discovery years should we say yeah and it has uh, captain christopher pike doing the five-year mission statement as the series would probably would have had if we'd have had the original chris pike series pre captain kirk so i don't know what the series is i've seen a couple of reviews and they've looked very positive uh, as it opened just this week in the us and question marks as to when we'll see it here in the uk with with paramount and everything maybe 
maybe Andy, we just uh, uh, we'll we'll drop in and just watch it together. Yeah. At some point and, uh, and share the experience, but the opening title sequence for Strange New Worlds is a is a thing of beauty yeah. and captures captures Roddenberry's Star Trek more so than recent iterations. That all those years, the kind of lost TV years after after Voyager, or in, in fact, if you want to include Voyager, this takes you back to a time and a place. Absolutely beautiful, uh, and and as a fan of opening title sequences, this is a great one. And that, folks, is it for this week. We'll be back again next week with another show, another deep dive, more fun and nonsense than you can shake a Thor's hammer at. Andy, other than heading out of town, what your plan for the next week? I mean, all my focus over this next week is getting ready to go down to Banbury because I leave on the 16th. And, yeah, I'm going to miss the team at Sheffield so much. I yeah, love I the team that I work with. And I've already said that, you know, my last shift there on this, this coming Friday, is going to be a bit of a teary, teary farewell. And I expect to be blubbing like a maniac in the office. That's how much I care about my job. I love the people that I work with. And Fantastic. it's a hard week. I mean, obviously, I'm going to miss my family. Yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> and me. But, I didn't see me in there. <laughs> but it's just, it's just such a huge change. And it is going to be, it is going to be hard. Ah, well, well you, you're going to have a great time. As I said, I'm going to come down and visit you at some point. Uh, once I've got uh, exams out of the way, I'll be down to see you. Um, so hopefully I'll see you maybe this week for Firestarter. But in the meantime, Andy, the pink elephant, if you please. So yeah. let's just let's do the post credits. Um our post-credits reveal we are very marvel this week so um thank you for sticking around that means that you're you're happy for us to spoil stuff or you've already seen dr strange yourself and you want to hear what our thoughts are on some of the reveals so shall we start with the illuminati well yeah i mean we are going to reveal quite a lot but to be honest i think whoever the marketing department did and and kevin feige himself is is not pleased with how much has got spoiled in this it is um, it is a uh, very difficult, you know, there are, are some genuine, genuine surprises and some surprises that really, really should have been left until the viewing. But OK, I, and, and I think while I, I, I liked this, I like the uh, the Illuminati idea. Again, it felt like a sequence that if you were to yes. take that out, it wouldn't have changed the story and the narrative of the movie. So, yes, plenty of fan services, but uh, uh, difficult because I enjoyed it. I mean, I actually had a silly grin on my face when we saw some of those characters in in the flesh. And but analyzing it afterwards, it it didn't it didn't matter if they were there or not. Seeing how the scene plays out and I didn't pick it up at the time, but when I was thinking about it afterwards, the scene was played out as though it was like a, and now introducing, da-da-da, here's a big reveal. And like you say, the marketing spoiled a lot of the reveals. A lot of the leaks and, uh, you know, the TV spots have pretty much spoiled everything. And you could see that it was framed in such a way to be, you reveal one and you go, then it reveals another. And then it leads up to, and here's Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. But we already knew that was happening. So why do such a build-up? But we got to see the best bit of fan casting come to light. And I was quite pleased that I did not know this in advance. They've been rumoured 
but I dismissed so many rumours because at the end of the day, it was rumoured that Tom Cruise was in this film and he wasn't. It was rumoured that um, there was going to be an alternate version of Iron Man in here. There wasn't. But we got to see John Krasinski as Reed Richards and my heart leapt because I instantly thought, surely when they go for a Fantastic Four movie, they're going to stick with him. They, they have to, don't they? They've they built it on the back of that. This close to a Fantastic Four movie coming out to have Mr. Fantastic, played by John Krasinski, the fan favourite, uh, and they kept it under wraps. And you know what? I looked over to you and we both had big, silly grins <laughs> on our faces because it was like the time when you saw Hawkeye in Thor yeah. and you went, oh my God, it's Hawkeye, it's Hawkeye. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, you know, the the, uh, the Captain Carter character appears and uh, again, nicely placed into what if. Uh, and you saw Captain Marvel, Lashana Lynch, appear and then and i just felt they were doing the guy right after that disastrous tv series you're anson mount reprising his role from the dreadful tv series uh as, as black bolt looking yes. like black bolt and you know what i i want to see black bolt now and i want to see <laughs> black bolt played by anson mount because it was uh the role he was born to play that and of course um, christopher pike now uh, and yeah. and and it, it was a wonderful little moment. Yes, it was fan service. As I said, you could take the scene out, and and nothing would would change the outcome of the story. I mean, as Professor X wheels into view, it well hovers into view in a bright yellow wheelchair, ripped straight from that nineteen nineties animated series. And they even had the music from the series. The play. music, Danny Elfman's little nod of like diddle diddle diddle, and it's like oh yeah, and you couldn't help as a fan of all these properties to just feel like excitement build up as they're all revealed. Yes, it's an unnecessary scene. Yes, it adds nothing to the film, but it was pure fan servicing that I kind of embraced. Uh, Anson Mount, yeah, so many people at work was like, who was Black Bolt? It's like Anson Mount. It's like, uh, why? It was like, oh, you didn't, you didn't watch the TV series, did you? Uh, I was that one person who watched the series all the way through, and you I and wanted I to see him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was bad. It wasn't great, but he was great throughout it. He played Black Bolt through that series perfectly, playing a silent character and being able to convey everything. Wow, what an actor. And it was nice, like you say, it was a really nice nod to bring him back for it. But it's it's for Krasinski. I mean, yeah, let's be honest, I'm hyped and stoked for the idea of the Fantastic Four. They're my favourite Marvel family. They've been my favourite Marvel comics since day one. And I can't wait to see the big screen outing. And if they get John Krasinski, come on, come on. It's got to be his wife who plays Sue Storm. Yes, absolutely. It's It feels set up to do that. Uh, you know, I always thought that, that Benedict Cumberbatch was fan casting. It was almost so obvious to play Doctor yeah. Strange. And, uh, um, you know, they, they really listened to what the fans have been calling for. Um, but it, it, it worked. It was it was... It was, a, it was a double-edged sword, one that we just thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we saw that and we saw uh, Patrick Stewart get to do something other than just sit in the chair. And we got all the characters in a fight scene. And it just proved how powerful that the Scarlet Witch was becoming in, in that scene, that yes. she could defeat all those characters. I mean, th these are characters who were supposed to have taken out Thanos and she just basically poof, gets rid of them like that. That's how powerful that's the Scarlet Witch is. Mm. That's magic. And 
Then we get another reveal in the mid-credit sting. Okay, and again, again, this is where not with the mid mid-credit sting, but it didn't. I didn't understand how it flowed from the ending of the movie. Now, as yes. a fan, I thought the mid-credit sting ticked all the boxes because you get the reveal of Charlize Theron as Clea, who's mistress of the dark dimension. She's Dormanu's daughter. Can't remember. I mean, she's been in it since the Steve Ditko era. She has yeah. been uh, strangers on and off, love interest all the way through. Even when they were filming Doctor Strange, it was speculated that that's who uh, Rachel McAdam was going to be playing because she's yeah. integral to uh, to the Doctor Strange mythos. So it was fantastic. And again, you and I going, is that Shirley's Theron? <laughs> is it? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, she just steps steps out to just basically take him on an exploration into the dark dimension because that's the portal that she opens behind her. And like you say, it, it kind of doesn't quite sit nicely with how the film itself ended because the film itself ended in with him strolling down the street, all happy, save the world, and then dropping to the ground in pain as his third eye pops out. And then we're just suddenly... Oh, and now he's strolling down the street and things happened and he's fine with it. It's like, what's happened? What have I missed? And I get the feeling, again, we've missed a huge chunk of exposition and story yeah. and uh, detail. But you know what? Just for that mid-credit sting, it got. it's one of those mid-credit stings as well that I love as a comic book fan, but also hate as a comic book fan because it means that all the people who don't read comics are now asking me what on earth that was about. <laughs> and I've now got to explain it for the next few weeks. Yeah. But... It's it's great. The back to doing Marvel mid credit stings that if you're just a general audience member who's never read a comic book in your life, you're just going to sit there baffled and confused. And then we get to the final end credits sting, which yeah, is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's the cameo that everyone knew was going to be happening. It's a Sam Raimi film. Of course, Bruce Campbell is in the film and he's in it earlier on as a street vendor who um, Doctor Strange does a spell on. So he starts hitting himself. And then his end it's credit so bit. Campbell. Oh, man, I've loved watching audience reactions to this over the past weekend because about a third of the audience find it funny and love it. Everyone else looks at it going, what? Have I just sat through all that for this? Because if you're under the age of, I'd say, 35... Yeah, yeah, you're going to write. You're, you're probably not going to actually care that it's a reference to... I mean, it's clearly him hitting himself is a reference to the Evil Dead escapades yep. when his hand took control and he just slaps himself a few more times and then stops and goes ha, ha ha and then looks straight at the camera as the camera jerks in close to him and he just tells the audience it's over and cuts to black and i loved it i thought it was brilliant as a fan of bruce campbell it was exactly what i expected sam raimi and bruce campbell to do as a little like ha ha we've got end credit stings and they're useless um <laughs> it was a great little fun moment but your general audience are just not getting it. <laughs> no. So I think ultimately, I think we could both say, uh, and Andy, I don't want to speak for you, that we enjoyed it. We had a lot of yeah. fun. Uh, we were at times blown away. I think with this little extra bit at the end where we've been able to talk about spoilers, I think it's more apparent how much we did enjoy the film than what we were in the main review, where we had to be careful about what we were saying, because what we enjoyed were these fun moments that are spoilers. I enjoyed Scarlet Witch being a true villain. Yeah, and she, she went is. completely dark. You know, it, and you know, having her be the main bad guy, it was a great redemptive kind of. It was a, it was a perfect finish to her arc as a character. 
and how she finishes at the end where she sacrifices her own self in this universe in order for the other Scarlet Witches or Wanders throughout the multiverse to not have to go dark was a great redemptive moment. And if they want to bring her back, they, they could possibly do that because we didn't actually see her perish, did they? And also the fact no. that they called her uh, Wanda Maximoff in this one yeah. as well for the first time. Um, I think I think Raimi uh, injects enough Sam Raimiisms, his macabre fun into it, and 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 style that pushes it into a, a, a darker a darker corner of the Marvel universe. It's an uneven script, but it is an entertaining watch ultimately, and it's engaging. The performances are all good. When it hits those emotional beats, it hits it perfectly, and it also has some truly bizarre moments, but it's just uneven. Um, I almost wish that they'd let left in that additional footage and let the, the, let the movie just, just breathe a little bit and and give itself space. And then those wow moments, we could have sat back afterwards and go, Oh my goodness. As opposed to here comes the next moment. Thanks for joining us. So thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. We will with another show. I'm off to back to my own dimension now.